from KQED. You're listening to Cued Up Storytelling with Heart. I'm Sandhya Dirks. Late summer has felt apocalyptic. Tonight, along the Texas Gulf Coast, utter devastation. Raging wildfires in the Pacific Northwest, a deadly earthquake in Mexico, catastrophic floods in South Asia. Floodwaters in Bangladesh, India, and Nepal have left tens of thousands stranded. And hurricanes with innocuous names lashing Texas, the Caribbean, and Florida. It looks like a bomb has gone off down here in St. Thomas. But there have been these flashes of bravery and hope. Scenes of rescuers hard at work, pulling flood victims into boats and helicopters, and providing medical treatment. KQED's Alex Emsley embedded with rescuers from California as they searched flooded areas in Texas after Hurricane Harvey. He got to know some of the men and women who've agreed to drop everything when a crisis comes, to head across the country or the world, and go right into the flood. I'm standing on the side of a rural road in Brazoria County, Texas. A side street branches off, but soon disappears under a few feet of water. So, basically what we've got here is a flooded neighborhood. Dave Lochner surveys the scene. Back in Sacramento, he's a fire department captain. But when he's deployed to disasters, he's a water rescue specialist. A few dozen homes are laid out around invisible cul-de-sacs. Water has covered the streets, muddy and full of hidden currents. It comes from a stream behind the subdivision, a tributary of the Brazos River. This is coastal prairie, flat and laced through with winding rivers and bayous. But right now, there's no distinction. The streams and rivers have merged into a massive flow seeping through the region. We've got a river that's behind this neighborhood that's reached its peak and gone above and beyond where it was ever expected to get to. Uh, The water probably as deep as port, four to five feet deep. Lochner is sweating in the intense Texas sun. The top half of his face is hidden under a blue baseball cap and dark sunglasses. He's outgoing and quick with a laugh always up front, eager to help out. He tells me about some of the dangers of working in a flood zone. So the electricity to the neighborhood's still on, um, which is a huge concern to us because if any power lines went down, energize the water, that could injure us or any public that's trying to get back into their houses. Then there's the wildlife, the kind of wildlife that becomes bolder when the flood waters rise, like snakes. We were informed from locals that there are a couple alligators that frequent the area behind here that could potentially have come in here. The one thing that we did find was uh, fire ants that had turned into kind of a floating island. Those are a danger because once they get close to us, they like to latch onto us. So we just have to keep our eyes out and make sure we stay away from them. You don't poke them with a stick or anything? Definitely don't poke them with a stick, no. We don't want to irritate those guys. (laughs) Lochner is part of California Urban Search and Rescue Task Force 7, Cal 7 for short. The 14-man team was here in the Tamarin Woods neighborhood more than a week after Hurricane Harvey made landfall. They were going door-to-door, checking homes from the outside and offering aid to anyone they encountered. Another Sacramento fire captain, Scott Lewis, says this area was actually okay after Harvey hit. It didn't flood at first, but then reservoirs upstream started overflowing. It wasn't flooded. They were told they'd come back, and then it started to rise again, so they called us out to double-check make sure everybody was out and do a secondary search. The water is up to our thighs on the road and rises to about chest deep if you leave it. Lewis warns me to stay in the middle, try to follow the yellow line through the murky flood water. A few residents are sloshing back and forth to their flooded homes. One woman is using garbage bags as waterproof pants. 
We wade up to a pickup truck parked on the flooded road, water halfway up the wheels. The driver is pulled over and rolled down the window to chat with two other men. He's been out patrolling the streets. We're going to change the name of the neighborhood from Tamarind Woods to the River Runs Through. You want to tell me your name, sir? Or no? I'm, my name is Jeff Satsky. Nice to meet you. Yes, you do. He is neighborhood uh, watchdog. The watchdog. He's, he takes care of the It's a good thing. He was here before the water started coming up and made damn sure nobody was robbing us. While they talk, Pat Frazier puts a hand on the truck for support. He looks tired. I ask him how bad his house is. Oh, it's okay. Uh, I can't use an electric blanket, but. Uh, <laughs> how long has it been like no. this? It's, it's got been, about 20 inches of water in there. Yeah, it came up uh, uh, about four days ago. Frazier is in his 60s. He says he tried to wait out the water and stay in his home. He made it two days before the grueling, muggy heat forced him to evacuate. Eight people in the neighborhood are still sheltering in place, but most left and are waiting for the flood water to recede. Harvey killed at least 70 people and damaged more than 200,000 homes. Pat Frazier has seen this kind of destruction before, but never in quite this way. I'm a retired insurance adjuster, worked a thousand flood claims after the water's gone. And to be a victim of one and to be inside that house when your clothes are floating in front of you and everything else is going on, it's just, it's just incredible. One of the men listening to Frazier is James Lester. He's also leaning up against the truck, smoking a cigarette. Lester lives an hour away. And his house is fine. Well, I was unaffected by it. Okay. I'm just going out helping he was people. Surrounded. Okay. Why are you going out to help people? Because they need help. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, they just need help. I, if I was in that shape, I'd want somebody to come help me. So I'm doing what I want people to do for me. So. It's something people keep saying over and over again. I hear it from firefighters, federal officials, and residents of Southeast Texas. It was neighbors helping neighbors that minimized Harvey's destruction. For Lester, that meant taking his boat out and floating through nearby flooded towns, looking for stranded people. I asked him if any one of those rescues stuck out in his mind. Not any one particular one. Uh, they, they were all the same. It, it, it was probably, I don't know, 50, 100 people that uh, me and a couple of my friends would take turns going in a little rowboat, picking up people, helping them out. So no, no spectacular stories. Were they thankful? Uh, most of them were. There, there were some of them so hurt that they didn't know how to be thankful, but that's okay too. Despite the resilience, there's a lot of pain here. Sacramento Fire Captain Scott Lewis says having to witness the hurt and the grief up close is one of the toughest parts of his job. The hardest thing for me is watching the family's faces and putting yourself in their position. How would you feel if this was your house, this was your stuff, and I'm holding the garbage bag as the gal's just trying to put her clothes, her favorite shirt, her favorite stuff in her bag that didn't get damaged. Within Cal 7, Lewis leads a rescue boat team of six. He's soft-spoken but strong. He looks like he could carry two people out of danger, one over each shoulder. There's a chain of command and Lewis is near the top, so he gives orders, but you can tell he doesn't ask anything from his team that he doesn't do himself. These disaster deployments, they're not volunteer gigs, FEMA reimburses the local fire departments for equipment and costs, but it takes volunteers from inside those departments to step up and take the training and agree to deploy under federal command for weeks of difficult work. Lewis has been to Texas twice before for Hurricanes Gustav and Ike. It seems like he really cares about his team and the people he's trying to help. 
I ask him how he copes when somebody dies, when he can't save them. We deal with life and death and birth and cancer, almost dead, are you dying? You know, we deal with that all the time. That It's almost, I hate to say numb to it, because that's not a healthy word to use, but you almost have to become numb to it to do your job. I mean, when the, someone calls 911, they don't, they don't want a hug necessarily, they want your action. So you gotta put all the broken body parts or the illness or the actual dead body that you're trying to work on, the actual what you're looking at away and do your job. That's true for his day job in Sacramento, and it's also true in a disaster area thousands of miles away. His gear changes, along with the accents of the people he's trying to help, but his motivation stays the same. I mean, at the end of the day, our passion is to help people and help people in need. I got into the fire service to help people and make a difference and help people that can't necessarily have all the means to help themselves. And that was our next level is at the federal level, being part of the FEMA USAR teams. The urban search and rescue teams trace their origins back to California, to the Loma Prieta earthquake that hit the northern part of the state in 1989. It killed 63 people, 42 of them when a highway deck in Oakland collapsed onto a lower roadway. One of the firefighters on Cal 7 remembers the day well, sitting helplessly in the fire station in Sacramento without the specialized equipment or training they would need if they rushed down to San Francisco to help. FEMA started the National Urban Search and Rescue System that same year. There are now 28 teams scattered across the continental U.S., eight of them in California. The full USAR teams, called Type 1, are made up of 80 people, a mix of local firefighters, paramedics, and other first responders, as well as doctors and structural engineers. A Type 1 deployment can travel across the country, bringing along all the rescue equipment they'll need, plus supplies to sustain themselves for up to 72 hours in a disaster zone. Cal 7 didn't send a Type 1 team to Texas for Hurricane Harvey, though. Instead, it sent a 14-person crew focused specifically on floodwater search and rescue, along with three boats. That's an improvement from Hurricane Katrina in 2005, when USAR teams didn't arrive with boats or even subunits specially trained in water rescue. Harvey was different. All 28 USAR teams were activated, and they came from all over, hauling trailers stacked with rescue boats, ropes, and life jackets. FEMA had set up staging areas outside of Houston, the one near Tamarind Woods was in a high school. Hundreds of firefighters and healthcare workers milled about, waiting for their next briefing. They wore t-shirts, revealing how far they'd come. Pennsylvania, New York, Miami, and California, to name just a few. Many were saying hello, catching up since they last saw each other, at the last disaster. Some were studying a GPS display of damaged areas. Others were grabbing coffee and snacks. This was almost the worst part, the waiting. They wanted to get going, to start their work, but FEMA was using well-known protocols for assessing damage, deploying the right teams with the right skills, and swapping them out to rest or relocate. Obviously this is a large event and they have a lot of resources, um, so a lot of times it is. You respond with the intent of doing everything you possibly can, and a, a lot of times you do a lot of staging and you're there just in case. Captain Mike Wolf is also with Cal 7, from Sacramento. When Harvey hit on August 25th, the closest USAR task forces from Texas and nearby states went in first and handled most of the swift water rescues. Cal 7 arrived a few days after the storm and they didn't use their boats very much. Still, FEMA had lots of work for them. We did everything from loading um, military planes with water and MREs to one night at 
you know, it was around midnight or one in the morning, we helped 68 convalescent patients that got relocated from a flooded convalescent home into a, a temporary convalescent home. On their last day working in Texas, the men of Cal 7 found themselves here, 60 miles south of Houston, in the Tamarin Woods neighborhood. It was still flooded and still hazardous. Some of the residents needed water, others told firefighters they were fine, and still others just wanted to talk a little, to say thank you for coming, for just being around, for showing you care. Captain Mike Wolf gets a little embarrassed by the gratitude. He's here to help. That's his job. The poor guy's loading up, you know, the last little things he can get out of his house um, while, while he's watching it sit, you know, in two and three feet of water. So we, we do everything we can. We'll offer it if, if he needs help loading his pickup truck with the last items he can get out of there, that's what, that's what we do. But disaster work is also more than a job. It's a public service, a moral undertaking, and also a calling. Captain Lewis sees it as a way to serve his country. Uh, it made me feel proud to be American, for real. I mean, my grandfather fought in World War II, my dad was in Vietnam, and they fought for our country, and now I'm doing something for our country. If it's just me driving across the United States helping someone I don't even know through a disaster, that, that's all it's all about. It makes me realize that we are all one country. It even comes up when they're talking to the men by the truck. Pat Frazier is surprised when he realizes the three fire captains walking through his town are from 2,000 miles away. You guys are here from Sacramento, California? I can't even say enough how, what it, how good it makes me feel. For a moment here on this flooded street, men from Texas and California, the quintessential red and blue states, stand united. The truth of the matter is, you guys are here. We're y'all, y'all are us. We're Americans. Yeah. Don't give me a cry now. <laughs> it's our pleasure, sir. Our okay? Friend. Thank you very much. How's your home, sir? At least two California urban search and rescue teams were deployed to Florida, responding to Hurricane Irma. You're listening to Cued Up. I'm Cynthia Dirks. This episode was reported by Alex Emsley and edited by Carrie Feibel. It was produced by Danny Bringer. Cued Up senior editor is Julia McAvoy. Executive producers are Holly Kernan and Ethan Lindsay. For more storytelling with heart, subscribe to Cued Up wherever you get your podcasts.